Blog Talk Radio. Jim Thorpe was a colossal figure in American athletics and a fascinating figure in American history. He was perhaps the greatest athlete in this country's history. He was not only an Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon, but also a brilliant All-American football player at the Carlisle Indian School and the first president and the greatest player in the incipient National Football League, as well as a Major League Baseball player. No other athlete in American history has done that trifecta. and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sports. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio, but we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sports Beat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spoola. So everybody, welcome to this Thursday program, the 18th day of May, 2023. Thanks so much for joining us on yet another segment of Sports Beat Radio Talking sports, and you heard the soundbite from uh, David Moranis, courtesy of YouTube, about our story today. Jim Thorpe, professional wonder. You know, it's interesting because as a educational sports radio station that we are, uh, I like to give you information on a lot of the people who were pioneers in sports in America, and I think the problem is that even though uh, ESPN and, and uh, some of the other TBS and some of the other uh, cable networks do a fine job with their 30, 30 series and so forth, um, most uh, of America today is very young. And so Jim Thorpe is probably not a name they re- remember. Sammy Baugh is probably not a name. George Hallis is probably not a name, even though he was a, the perennial coach and owner for you know, over 40, 50 years of the Chicago Bears. And I think what happens a lot of times, and, and I see it uh, in, inflamed many times in sports radio, and it gets hot and heavy sometimes, is people will call in and, and uh, debate with the host as to who was the greatest player. You know, well, Michael Jordan was the best. And then, you know, you have people will say uh, LeBron James is the best, Kobe was the best. But, you know, you don't hear them say too much about Will Chamberlain because – most uh, people, millennials uh, today, are kind of the current status of America. And I, I really think the answer to that is the greatness that you've bestowed on your sport has to do with the era that you've played. And so people will say, well, you know, Babe Ruth probably couldn't hit uh, Max Scherzer today. Or, you know, Sammy Baugh probably couldn't throw uh, the football like he did in 1933. Or, uh, you know, Wilt Chamberlain couldn't play in today's game. 
They probably couldn't because of uh, nobody plays defense. And so the games, of course, have changed. Uh, but when they did an analysis of Babe Ruth's peripheral vision, uh, out of how he sees out of the corner of his eye, he actually was 20% better than most human beings. He had an edge to be able to see that baseball, and he had that odd shape, you know, the thin legs, but particularly the, the thin arms and the fast uh, wrist speed that allowed him to be a home run king. And he hit many, you know, hard shots that weren't home runs. Uh, Sammy Baugh was a person who revolutionized football uh, with a scoring prowess. You know, we talk about Peyton Manning being so great, but uh, his records don't compare to Sammy Baugh. And Sammy Baugh threw basically a watermelon rugby-type ball. It wasn't the uh, tapered airfoil that it's become. Lance Allworth, one of my uh, favorite players, my idol growing up, uh, you know, uh, people say, well, he was one of the first to play uh, in the uh, uh, Hall of Fame. He was first uh, picked from the AFL to go to the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, he probably couldn't play today. Well, he played back then when anything went with uh, defensive backs, and he was sandwiched most of the time between two defenders, and he made spectacular catches with no gloves and no tape. And he probably would have been even greater in the past happy era of what we are now in the NFL. Babe Ruth would probably still slug baseballs as far as he did then. Now, were there that many pitchers in those days that you know pitched 95-plus miles an hour? Probably not. But many of those pitchers had better arsenal attack uh, pitches than the current players do today. You know, Wilt Chamberlain, uh, could he play today? Yeah. He was dominating when he retired, when he was doing pickup games. So I think we're kind of fans of our era. You know, if you grew up in the 60s like I did, you think that the 60s and 70s football was the greatest, which I still think is. You know, if you were a millennial and, you you know, you probably thought that the 90s were the best or, you know, now is the best. You're not going to look back and say, wow, you know, that Jim Thorpe was something else. You're not going to look back and say, well, you know, that uh, Sammy Ball was something else. That George Mikan was something else. You're not going to say that because you don't really know those players. And so that's what I wanted to do now on this show is to kind of point out what these great players have given us in the scope of their sport. And Jim Thorpe was considered by uh, Sports Illustrated and many other magazine uh, publications in sport the greatest athlete of the 1900s. And one of the reasons is that, as you heard the, the Moranis interview there in the opening of the show, is because he was so multifaceted. Now, you know, we saw Bo Jackson play baseball and football, and he did it very well. We saw uh, Sanders Deion Sanders played for the Braves, and then he played for Atlanta and a couple of other teams. But there's never been anyone quite like Jim Thorpe. Now, you know, we did see people like LeBron James and Michael Jordan. They played in the Olympics, but they, they were playing as a team with basketball. Jim Thorpe did a lot of things on his own. He was one of the greatest uh, track people in the 1912 Olympics. He was so good in Stockholm, Sweden that King Gustav of Sweden said to him personally, gave him the medal personally, and said, Sir, you are the greatest athlete 
in the world. And Jim Thorpe basically replied, thanks, King. So, you know, who was this guy, this this person who was the first commissioner of the National Football League before it was called the National Football League way back in 1920? His name was James Francis Thorpe, and he was an American athlete, and he was also, and we have a picture of him on our slideshow, holding his helmet uh, playing for then the Canton Bulldogs, which was a team that pre-eminent uh, the NFL. He, they think he was born somewhere around May 22nd, May 28th, in 1887, and he died in March 28th, 1953, a member of the Sock and Fox Nation. He was the first Native American to win a gold medal for the United States in the Olympics, considered one of the most versatile athletes of modern sports. He won two Olympic gold medals in the 1912 Summer Olympics, one in the classic pentathlon and the other in the decathlon. And he also played football, collegiate and professional. He played uh, baseball and basketball. And then if you remember, those of you who know, he lost his Olympic titles after it was found he had been paid for playing two seasons of semi-professional baseball before competing in the Olympics, which in those days was uh, something he didn't do, violated the uh, amateurism rules. And in 1983, 30 years after his death, the IOC, of course we've done shows on them, they are less than stellar, of course, but uh, they restored his Olympic medals with replicas after ruling that the decision to strip him of the medals fell outside of the required 30 days. So official IOC records still listed Thorpe as co-champion in decathlon and pentathlon until 2022 when it was decided to restore him as the sole champion in both events. I believe he made something like $20 for the games. So he grew up in the Sac and Fox Nation in uh, what is now the state of Oklahoma. He attended, uh, most people uh, realize that he attended the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He was a two-time All-American for the school's football team under another uh, pretty well-known coach, Pop Warner. And after his Olympic success in 1912, which included a record score in the decathlon, he added a victory in the all-around championship of the AAU. In 1913, he played Pine Village Pros in Indiana, and later in 1913, he signed with the New York Giants, and he played six seasons in Major League Baseball between 1913 and 1919. Then he joined the Canton Bulldogs of the American football team in 1915, helping them to win three professional championships, and he later played for six teams in the National Football League. He played as part of several All-American Indian teams throughout his career, and barnstormed, which was kind of a... uh, a thing that they did in those days, playing several games on the road to uh, command attention for the sport as a professional basketball player with a team composed entirely of American Indians. And then from 20 to 21, he uh, was nominally the first president of the APFA. Now, that was what the National Football League was called in 1920, the American Professional Football Association. It became the NFL in 1922, he played professional sports until he was 41, and the end of his sports career coincided with the start of the Great Depression. So he struggled to earn a living after that. He worked several odd jobs. He suffered from alcoholism, and he lived his last years in failing health and poverty. And he was married three times. He had eight children, including Grace Thorpe, 
who was an environmentalist and native rights activist before suffering from heart failure and dying in 1953, the same year her father died. So he was received, Thorpe, that is, numerous accolades for his athletic accomplishments. The Associated Press ranked him as the greatest athlete from the first 50 years of the 20th century. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame inducted him as part of its inaugural class in 1963. The town of Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, was named in his honor. It has a monument site that contains his remains, which were the subject of legal action. Of course, he appeared in several films, one of them, uh, Burt Lancaster, back in 51, uh, portrayed Jim Thorpe in the the, uh, film Jim Thorpe, All-American. For those of you who uh, are in the Pocono area of Pennsylvania, this is a little outside the Poconos, I believe southwest of the northeast direction of the Poconos, is the town of Jim Thorpe. It was called, I believe, Machchonk, if I'm not mistaken. It was kind of an Indian name. And uh, since Thorpe had a lot to do with Pennsylvania being in Carlisle at the Carlisle College there, uh, the town offered to build a memorial for him in this town. And as you come into the town, you'll see the monuments, beautiful monuments made of, I believe, marble, like a brown marble. It's kind of like a mausoleum. He's encrypted in there. It has his name and some of the accomplishments of what he's done. And uh, I've been there several times. As you enter the town, you will see it. Uh, They call the town the Switzerland of America. It's kind of sitting in uh, a gorge between mountains, a very pretty town, a lot of uh, whitewater rafting and hiking there. Uh, It's a provincial town. It was a railroad town at one point that had a theater. All that stuff's still there. And they renamed it Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. And since I've been there, they've added other features, uh, information boards about his career. They have a couple of major big sculptures of him carrying the football. Just a really nice place to visit if you want to see it and take some pictures. Very, very nice place. It's illuminated at night. Uh, but it's caused some problems because Grace Thorpe, uh, the daughter and the wife of Jim Thorpe, were furious about uh, him being buried in Pennsylvania. They've done everything they can. Uh, as far as digging him up, so to speak, uh, to get him back to his native Oklahoma. They wanted uh, him to be buried in Oklahoma, which was Jim Thorpe's wishes. But things don't always come out the way you wish. And they have been fighting for years to have the body exhumed and brought back to uh, Oklahoma. And so uh, that remains. I'm not sure if that's going to happen now as many of his heirs are uh, kind of passing on. But it is a cool place to visit uh, if you want to uh, see it. Some of the teams he played for, the Canton Bulldogs from 1915 to 1917, and then again 1919 to 20, the Cleveland Indians, the Oorang Indians, the Rock Island Independents, the New York Giants, the Tampa Cardinals, and then the Chicago Cardinals, which are now, of course, the uh, Arizona Cardinals. As a coach, he coached in Indiana in 1915 as an assistant head coach. He can't, uh, coached the Bulldogs, the Indians, and the Tampa Cardinals all through the uh, 20s. He was a first-team All-Pro in 1923, NFL's 1920s All-Decade Team, the NFL 50th Anniversary All-Team, and a two-time Consensus All-America 1911-1912. So his parents were both of mixed race ancestry. His father was Hiram Thorpe. He he had an Irish father and a Sac Fox Indian mother. His mother was Charlotte Vieux, had a French father, 
uh, and a uh, Potototomi mother, a, dis- a descendant of Chief Louis Vieux. Thorpe was raised as a Sac Fox Indian. And uh, his native name was Watho Huck, which translates a path lit by great flash of lightning or bright path, which is kind of interesting. Both parents of uh, Jim Thorpe were Roman Catholic, a faith which Thorpe observed throughout his life. And um, when Thorpe's mother died of childbirth complications two years later, the youth became depressed, and after several arguments with his father, he left home to work on a horse ranch. And in 1904, he was 16, he returned to his father and decided to attend the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And there his athletic ability was recognized, and he was coached by, as we said then, Glenn Scobie, who was Pop Warner, one of the most influential coaches of early American football. And later that year, the youth was orphaned after his father, Hiram, died from gangrene poisoning after being wounded in a hunting accident. And Thorpe, again, dropped out of school. He resumed farm work for a few years before returning to the Carlisle School. Then, of course, he began his athletic career in 1907 at Carlisle when he walked past the track and, still in street clothes, beat all the high school jumpers with an impromptu five-feet, nine-inch jump. And his earliest recorded track and field results came from 1907. He also competed in football, baseball, lacrosse, ballroom dancing, where he won uh, intercollegiate uh, championship, believe it or not. So Pop Warner was hesitant to allow Thorpe, his best track and field athlete, to compete in such a physical game as football. But Thorpe, however, convinced Warner to let him try some rushing plays and practice against the school's defense. And Warner assumed he would be tackled easily and give up the idea. So Thorpe ran and uh, passed and threw them not once but twice, and he walked over to uh, Warner and said, nobody is going to tackle Jim while he flipped the ball to him. So he first gained his national uh, you know, notice in 1911 for his athletic ability as a running back, a defensive back, a place kicker, and a punter. His team finished the record 11-1, and and in 1912, Carlisle won the national collegiate championship largely as a result of Thorpe's effort. He scored 25 touchdowns, 198 points during the season, according to CNN's Greg uh, Bethello. Uh, Steve Boda, researcher for the NCAA, credits Thorpe with 27 touchdowns and 224 points. Thorpe rushed for 191 times for 1,869 yards, according to Boda. The figures do not include statistics from two of Carlisle's 14 games in 1912 because full of records are not available. And a lot of times in those early days, particularly of the NFL, the records were a little shabby. Uh, But it's interesting to note that um, Jim Thorpe supposedly kicked a 70-yard field goal back in the early 20s when he played uh, in the NFL. Now, they did a drop kick in those days. They didn't – the quarterback didn't hold the ball and the kicker kicked. They did a drop kick where he actually dropped the ball down the ground and kicked it. And there was documentation, uh, although no records of it, that Jim Thorpe actually kicked long before Tom Dempsey kicked his 63-yarder. Seven more yards than uh, Tom Dempsey did back in the uh, early 20s. So his Olympic career in Stockholm, Sweden, two new uh, uh, multi-disciplines, I should say, excuse me, were included, the pentathlon and the decathlon, uh, and um, Thorpe won those. And then, of course, later, uh, there was the controversy of him playing in uh, professional, semi-professional baseball. So strict rules regarding amateurism were in effect for athletes participating in the Olympics, and athletes who received money prizes for competitions 
where sports teachers or had previously against professionals were not considered amateurs. They were barred from competition. So in late January 1913, the Worcester uh, Telegram reported that Thorpe had played professional baseball before the Olympics, and other U.S. newspapers followed up on the story. He had played professional baseball in Eastern Carolina League for Rocky Mount, North Carolina, in 1909-1910, receiving, uh, well, they said $2 a day, which would have been about $58 today per game, and as much as $35 per week, which would have come out today to 1018 So college players, in fact, regularly spent summers playing professionally in order to earn some money. But most use aliases, and unlike Thorpe, uh, although the public did not seem to care much about Thorpe's past, the AAU, and especially its secondary, James Secretary James Edward Sullivan, took the case very seriously and uh, banned him uh, from uh, all of the uh, situations that he would have uh, had with his medals. So Thorpe signed with the New York Giants baseball team 1913. He played sporadically with them as an outfielder, and after playing in the minor leagues with the Milwaukee Brewers, believe it or not, 1916, he returned to the Giants in 1917. He was sold to the Cincinnati Reds early in the season. And in a double no-hitter between Fred Tony of the Reds and Hippo Vaughn of the Chicago Clubs, Thorpe drove in the winning run in the 10th inning, and late in the season he was sold back to the Giants. Uh, Thorpe didn't really abandon football. He, he first played professional football in 1913 as a member of the Pine Village Pros, as we said earlier, a team that had several season-winning streak against local teams during the 1910s. And then he signed with the Canton Bulldogs in 1950. They paid him uh, $250 a game, which today would be $6,697, so he was paid well a tremendous wage at the time. Before signing him, Canton was averaging 1,200 fans a game, but 8,000 showed up for Thorpe's debut against their arch-rival, the Massillon Tigers. And the team won titles in 1916, 17, and 19, and Thorpe reportedly ended the 1919 championship game by kicking a wind-assisted 95-yard punt from his team's own five-yard line, effectively putting the game out of reach. So most of... Uh, Thorpe's biographers were aware of his basketball career until a thicket that documented his time in professional basketball was discovered in an old book in 2005. And by 1926, he was the main feature of the world-famous Indians of LaRue, a traveling basketball team. And Thorpe's world-famous Indians barnstormed for at least two years, 1927 to 28, in multiple states. And although stories about Thorpe's team were published in some local newspapers at the time, his basketball career is not well documented. For a brief time in 1913, he was considering going into professional hockey for the Tecumseh Hockey Club in Toronto, Ontario. And there are pictures of him playing hockey. So he was married three times. He had a total of eight children. Uh, he married uh, Ivan Miller in 1913, who we met at Carlisle. In 1917, Ivan Thorpe bought a new house known uh, as the Jim Thorpe House in Yale, Oklahoma, where he lived. Uh, there until 20, uh, 1923. They had four children, and uh, Miller filed for divorce from Thorpe in 1929, claiming desertion. So then he married Frida Kirkpatrick, and that was in uh, September of 1905. She was working for the manager of a baseball team for which he played at the time. They had four sons. Kirkpatrick divorced Thorpe in 41 after they had been married for 15 years. And lastly, Thorpe married Patricia Gladys Askew on June 2, 1945. She was with him when 
he died. So, you know, the situation with uh, Jim Thorpe, uh, he had his medals uh, restored, as we know. Uh, we talked about uh, him uh, having the accolades of King Gustav as the greatest athlete uh, in the world. Uh, President Nixon, back in the 70s, as authorized by the U.S. Senate Joint Resolution 73, proclaimed Monday, April 16, 1973, as Jim Thorpe Day to promote nationwide recognition of Thorpe's life. And in 86, the Jim Thorpe Association established an award with Thorpe's name. The Jim Thorpe Award is given annually to the best defensive back in college football, which you may know, and the annual Thorpe Cup Athletics Meeting is named in his honor. The U.S. Postal System... Uh, ordered and issued a 32 stamp on February 3rd, uh, 1998, 32 cent stamp as part of the celebrate uh, the Century Stamp Sheets uh, series. And in a poll of sports fans published in 2000 by ABC Sports, Thorpe was voted the greatest athlete of the 20th century. The pool of 15 other top athletes included Muhammad Ali, Jesse Owens, Babe Ruth, Jack Nicholas, uh, Wayne Gretzky, and Michael Jordan. And Thorpe was honored in 2018 on the Native American dollar coin. And uh, that was in 2018. So uh, getting to that situation where uh, he is in uh, Pennsylvania, after a funeral was held at St. Benedict's Catholic Church in Shawnee, Oklahoma, the body lay in state, uh, and residents had paid it to have it returned to Shawnee by train from California. The people began a fundraising effort to erect a memorial for Thorpe at the town's athletic park, and local officials had asked state legislators for funding, but a bill that included 25000 for the proposal was vetoed by then-Governor Johnston Murray. So Thorpe's third wife, unbeknownst to the rest of the family, took Thorpe's body and had it shipped to Pennsylvania when she heard that the small town of Pennsylvania, Monchonk, and East Monchonk were seeking to attract business, and she made a deal with officials, which, according to Thorpe's son, Jack, was made by the widowed Patricia for monetary considerations. Of course, money always bastardizes everybody, so why not, right? So the towns bought Thorpe's remains, erected a monument to him at the grave, merged and renamed the newly united town in his honor as Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Thorpe had never been there, and the monument site contains his tomb, two statues of him in athletic poses, and historical markers recounting his life. So in 2010, uh, Jack Thorpe filed a federal lawsuit against the borough of Jim Thorpe, seeking to have his father's remains returned to his homeland and reinterred near the other family members in Oklahoma. Citing the Native American Graves Protection and Reparation Act, Jack was arguing to bring his father's remains to the reservation in Oklahoma to be buried near those of his father, sisters, and brother, a mile from the place he was born. And he claimed that the agreement between his stepmother and Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, borough officials was made against the wishes of the family who want him buried in the Native American land. Jim Thorpe, or Jack Thorpe, I should say, died at the age of 73 in February 2011. So District Judge Richard Caputo ruled that Jim Thorpe Borough uh, amounts to a museum under the Native American Graves Protection Reparation Act and therefore is bound by law. And a lawyer for Bill and Richard Thorpe said the men would pursue the legal process to have their father's remains returned to the Sac and Fox land in central Oklahoma. On October 23, 2014, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit reversed Judge Caputo's ruling, and the appeals court held that Jim Thorpe Burrow is not a museum, as the term is used, and that he, uh, and that the plaintiffs, therefore, could not invoke the federal statute to seek reinterment of Thorpe's remains. So, 
the Court of Appeals directed the trial court to enter a judgment in favor of the borough, and the appeals court said Pennsylvania law allows the plaintiffs to ask a state court to order reburial of Thorpe's remains, but noted once a body is interred, there is a great reluctance in permitting same to be removed, absent clear and compelling reasons for such a move. So on October 5th, 2015, the United States Supreme Court refused to hear the matter, effectively bringing a legal process to an end. And then, uh, unfortunately for Jim Thorpe, uh, he, as much money as he made, uh, he was not a, uh, a good mentor of his money. Uh, he took a lot of dopey things that were beneath him, appearing in circuses and anything really to keep his head above water financially. And then uh, uh, alcoholism and some of the uh, uh, health issues uh, made their self known, and Jim Thorpe died. Uh, in 1953. So that is a look at, you know, one of the great, great uh, sports figures of our time, the great Jim Thorpe, professional football player, professional basketball player, almost a professional hockey player, an Olympic champion, and an accomplished baseball player, uh, just a natural great athlete who uh, really deserves a lot more accolades than he's received. Well, that'll about do it for our show today. Thanks so much on uh, listening to the story of Jim Thorpe, one of the great professional athletes of all time, noted in Sports Illustrated as one of the greatest uh, athletes of the first 50 years of the 20th century. Sportsbeat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions, and until next time, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you again.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.